0: so uh, today we 're going to start a series that 's going to take us up uh, through Advent into Christmas on the uh, Old Testament book of Ruth um, and th- there's um, there 's a, a number of reasons why uh, why I want to do that one is obviously as we 'll see as we uh, get into the text today that um, Ruth uh, is in the line of David and uh, who is in the line of Jesus and so so that leads us to uh, think uh, about Christmas. Uh, The other thing about it is, is that this story is really a great story for Advent as well because it's very dark uh, and there's a lot of longing and there's grief and there's difficulty and there's suffering, right? And that all of those things are what lead up to and prepare us actually for for the coming of, of Christ into the world. And so um, it, it, I think it'll be good for us to, to spend some time thinking about that. Um, the other uh, uh, thing that I would recommend that you do is that you take some time over the next few weeks and months to read uh, read through the book. It won't take you long, about 20 minutes. Read, read through it a couple of times. It's a beautiful story. Uh, the literature, the literary uh, beauty of it is, is pretty profound. It's a very understated uh, in the way in which uh, it talks about things, uh, and uh, it has a happy ending. So, um, so it would be. I think it would be worth your while to to, to spend some time, uh, uh, spend some time reading it. Uh, the other reason why I wanted to do this uh, is because um, uh, there's a lot in this book about grief, and grief is a universal, universal human. Uh, Uh, Emotion and uh, condition. It, uh, my my dad always says, uh, uh, the longer you live, the more you lose. And, uh, I think there's some real truth to that. And so, uh, in fact, one of the biggest determiners of longevity for people is, uh, how they deal with loss. Right? And so we're gonna, this story begins with devastating losses. And we're going to see how God uh, meets uh, Naomi in particular uh, as we as we unpack uh, as we unpack the story. And so, part of this is uh, honestly, I told the the, uh, the nine o'clock service that I'm going through my own uh, grief right now with the loss of my mom a couple of months ago. And so, part of what you will have the uh, benefit of doing is. Sitting in on, uh, my therapy sessions as, uh, as we, uh, as we go through, as we go through this text and as we, we talk about these issues. So, um, uh, let me, uh, begin this morning by reading, uh, Ruth chapter one, uh, verses one through six. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens, uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. <clears throat> In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Mahlon and Kilion died so that the woman, that is Naomi, was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So this is a, this, this story has uh, so many elements in it that, uh, uh, kind of identify and connect even to, uh, uh, people in this room and events that are happening, uh, in this world. You, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. One is, it's a story about refugees. Uh, uh, uh this family, this little family there in Bethlehem has to, uh, uh, flee their country because there is a severe famine in the land, and they go to Moab. They go to a foreign country with a different language, a different culture, even a different religion. And so they, uh, uh, the, they're they refugees. They have no other place really for them to be. We, For whatever reason, it's unclear exactly what the reason is, but there's a famine uh, in the land. Uh, that there's no food for them to eat, and that's why they had to. Uh, that's why they had to leave. One of the things that we we note about this uh, period of time is that there were there were occasions, uh, particularly during the judges, where God would bring famine uh, in response to the people's sin. There's death, uh, uh, three deaths in the first six verses. Uh, grief. Um, In fact, uh, Naomi will change her name as a result of this grief to bitter. Uh, There's a story of a family. And uh, uh, all of us uh, uh, understand uh, what families are like. Uh, In-laws. There's a big thing about in-laws in this. Uh, I'm about to get uh, a daughter-in-law, Lord willing, and um, they're... (laughs) She's coming at Thanksgiving to eat with our family, so we hope that she will continue in uh, being interested in marrying into the family. Uh, It's a love story, a beautiful love story uh, between um, um, uh, Ruth and this old man Boaz. And then there's a great story at the end of redemption where God comes through in the end and delivers and cares for his people. Now, I would not. I typically don't like titles to sermons, and I don't like uh, titles for sermon series because it just takes more energy to do that, and I want to conserve my energy, so I don't want to have to spend a lot of time being creative to come up with that. But I know that for some people it's, it's really helpful. So if I was going to come up with a title for this series, I, the title that I think I would uh, call it is uh, Love is Stronger Than Death um that's a verse actually uh from uh the song of solomon um when uh we were at the cemetery uh, preparing uh to bury my mom um and you know one of the things one of the th- things that you realize when you go through something like that is uh the peaks and valleys of the emotions and 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 the grief is that um that time there in the cemetery where you are uh, about to bury your loved one is is really, really uh, tough, really hard. Uh, it, it, it's, it's as if death slaps you in the face. And one of the things, you, you experience that and you have this sense of grief and you have this sense of, of loss there. Um, and you think, well, I'll just walk through this. I'll get through this. And then once I get you know a few days out or on the other side of this, I'll be okay. Uh, but the the nature of grief is is that uh, it comes and goes. It just comes and goes. Uh, you you may think uh, Marty and I were talking about this last night, where I said, "Well, I think I'm doing just fine," and she told me I wasn't. <laughs> And I'm like, well, how can you tell? She's like, you're very quiet. Well, I'm quiet all the time. She's like, no, you're really quiet. Uh, My daughter has complained that I'm not texting her uh, pictures of cats, uh, the stupid, stupid cat pictures this this fall. So uh, she she can tell that there's uh, uh, something up with that. Um, I went a couple of weeks ago to visit uh, my dad. I was excited to go see him and uh, glad to be there, but I walked into... Uh, his house and she wasn't there. Um, So this is what I read uh, at her burial. The Bible says that love is stronger than death. The ultimate final truth of the universe is the love of God and Jesus Christ for his people. We live in a trajectory that ends in beauty, newness, and healing. We aren't there yet. But the ending is ultimately good. We don't have to live in fear or worry or anxiety. The love of God is powerful enough to raise the dead. And so what Naomi is going to experience in these four chapters of this book is the power of God to redeem a dark, bleak, and uh, uh, a situation that appears, at least at the beginning of this story, uh, to be her, uh, her undoing, right? But one of the things that we note about this, and one of the things that we see is that God is doing a number of things in this story. One is he's caring for a widow, and He's actually he's caring for two widows. He is providing for them and giving them exactly what they need as they need it. But he is also providing for his people at large. Because what we know about Ruth uh, is that she will have a child, uh, and that child will be the grandfather of King David, who is in the line of Jesus Christ. And so so we read in Matthew uh, the, uh, um, the genealogy there, that this story is a key part and an essential building block in preparing the world and preparing the people of God and leading up to uh the coming of Christ into the world. He's also and as as we'll see uh through this this situation, through this grief and through this death and through this difficulty, he's going to provide for his people uh uh the, the golden age really of Israel through King David, right? So let's jump in and, and let's uh see what see what the Lord has for us today. So the first thing you have to note is is the historical setting. So in the days when the judges ruled, what we know about the judges is is it might have been the darkest period uh in the in the history of God's people, because uh typically what would happen is is the people would forget that God had delivered them, they would forget about his goodness, his grace, they would forget about his mercy, they would commit spiritual adultery. And God would have to bring them to uh, situations where they were where they suffered, where they were oppressed, where difficult things happened. They would cry out to God when God would hear them, and He would raise up a judge who would deliver them from the Philistines or the Midianites or or any uh, uh, number of those uh, 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 foes that they had. Now, the problem with this is uh, 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 there's a couple of problems. One is if you if you read the Book of Judges. One of the things that you note about it is is that uh, over the the period of time, over the uh, the period of the judges, the, the judges themselves uh, become more and more immoral. They get worse, so that by the time you get to the end of the book, when you when you you read about Samson, you know we tend to think of Samson as you know this great guy who pushed the pillars down on the Philistines. Well, Samson was a nut job, out of control. Just one giant appetite for living life large, and he certainly did, right? And so, so when you when you see that, when you see the decline of the people of God, the decline of of uh, uh, even in uh, the, the the judges themselves. But you see, the problem was that God could raise up a judge. He could raise up a Samson or an Ehud or a, a Gideon or somebody like that. But the problem was those judges could not deliver the people from their ultimate enemy. These judges could not change the hearts of the people. Those judges could not redeem those people. Those judges were flawed and fallen men themselves. And so what they needed was Redemption. They needed God to act on their behalf, not just to deliver them from the Philistines, but to deliver them really from themselves, from their own sin, their own brokenness, their, their, their own rebellion. And so what you see in that cycle repeated over and over again is kind of this fruitless uh, uh, pursuit of the people, uh, things that end up uh, leaving them in death, uh, needing crying out for an ultimate redeemer the last verse of the book of judges which is the the book right before ruth uh, it says this in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes in other words it's a there's a there's a tendency in israel during this period of time towards lawlessness uh towards uh the splintering of the culture the splintering of the country and so that so that things are are uh well it's just bleak and it's just dark next slide So one of the things that we'll see about this is, is that in the midst of this darkness and in the midst of this difficulty, God focuses our attention upon this woman, Naomi. And what's interesting about Naomi, and one of the things that we we note about this is because the book's titled Ruth, but really the book's about Naomi. It's more about her than it is about Ruth. Now, Ruth is an important uh, figure, and, 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 and she matters, no doubt. But the book really begins with Naomi and her grief and ends uh, with this uh, 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 statement about her. And the women of the neighborhood, which I just think that's just a, a an hilarious verse, right? The women of the neighborhood, right? Um, they all met at the bus stop, right? And so the and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is the child that Ruth and Boaz have. A son has been born to Naomi. Naomi didn't have a baby, right? Wonder how Ruth felt about that. I just birthed this baby, right? Um, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, right? So who's this child being born to? Well, well, what we see here in this text is is that the the, the the story here is about Naomi, about her grief, about her difficulty, and about how God redeems and about how God provides and about how He cares for her. Right? So, so it's as if this child, Obed, uh, that is born there, was her own child. Uh, because he comes into the world. And part of the reason why it was important for Naomi to have grandchildren was somebody needed to take care of her. Somebody needed to provide for her, right? So, so while the book is entitled Ruth, it is primarily about Naomi, her losses, her grief, and God's redemption. Now, this is one of the things that's so important about this is this woman is not insignificant. In God's economy, there are, uh, there are no unimportant or little people the fact of the matter is what we could see is you you you, you these people don't uh, stand out there's nothing about them that's that they're particularly gifted or are particularly smart or that they're uh, military heroes or political figures or anything like that and so what what we tend to think of you know our lives often at times we think of ourselves as being pretty insignificant not very important but what we see here is in the midst of Famine in the midst of political upheaval, in the midst of p- political difficulty, God is focusing our attention and His attention upon a widow. A widow. In that culture, a widow was the, uh, was the weakest, most vulnerable person. Without a man to care for her, without children to care for her, without grandchildren to care for her, she's going to die. So not only is she grief-stricken, not only has she lost her husband, not only will she lose her sons, she's likely to lose her own life, right? So what God is going to do here is he focuses our attention and he focuses the uh, uh, his attention Upon this person, so listen if you 're ever tempted to think that god doesn 't see you, that God is more involved in the big things that are going on in the world, that somehow or other He is not aware of you or doesn 't have time or cannot be bothered to, to deal with the small things of your life, you need to repent of that, because what the Book of Ruth tells us is is that God is at work uh, even even among the little people, the small people, the seemingly insignificant people. Now, a couple of things to note, and I think it's important that we do this. Sometimes sometimes when you read names in the Bible, you uh, you can read too much into it. But I think that these these names are important because they tell us, uh, uh, their meaning tells us a lot about the story. First of all, Elimelech, his name it means, my God is king. Now, people... Uh, as we'll see in a few minutes, one of the things that people say the reason why Elimelech died or and the way, the reason why Maglon and Kilian died is because they left Israel in the midst of a famine and they went to Moab, to Moab and that that was a bad thing to do and that they sinned in doing that. Now, you can read that into this text, but the text doesn't tell us that. It just simply tells us that they went to uh to, to Moab, and so the fact that he has this name, "My God is King," uh, that's that's pretty impressive. That's you know that I think that says a lot about him. Secondly, the next the next name is Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. She will change her name midway through this story from sweet uh, uh, to uh, bitter, as we'll see. Uh, Machon, her her son, <laughs> means weak or sick, which. It's a f- kind of a funny name, actually, I think, to name your kid, weak or sick, right? But uh, he certainly lives up to his name, All right, He dies. And then Killian means failing. Never would anybody in the west end of Richmond ever name a child failing, right? We are just like Lake Wobegon, right? All, uh, all our children are above average, right? Certainly not failing, Bethlehem means house of bread. Uh, so one of the reasons why this family chose to live where they did there in the area around Bethlehem is because the economy was good, the agriculture was good, and there was plenty to eat. Orpah, one of the uh, 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 Naomi's daughters-in-law, means neck or stiff-necked. And Ruth means friend. Just... Kind of a, 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 a you, you can pick up a little bit about the narrative and about the story just by, by looking at these names. Next slide, please, Liz. So, so the reason the family leaves Bethlehem is a famine, which is ironic because Bethlehem means house of bread. So one of the things that is, uh, that the, the kind of turns the story uh, upside down is the fact that here they are living in the best part, the most agriculturally fruitful part of Israel, and in the midst of that, there's a famine there's nothing to eat and it is such a dire famine and it is such a, a terrible thing that this family picks up where they are and goes to another country they have to go because if they don't they're going to die now people have have said that they shouldn't have gone to moab but the problem with that is is that th- there are some th- there are some scriptures about uh some very great and important people uh in uh among God's people who had good relations with the people in Moab. In fact, uh David, uh, uh Ruth's uh, uh grandson, um, David went from there to Mizpah to Moab. This is when he is being chased by Saul. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So so one of the things that we see about that is perhaps perhaps the reason why uh, uh, this famine happens and perhaps the reason why this family has to go to Moab is to create a connection with Moab so that when when David is running for his life, uh uh, he can go to Moab and say, you know, there are people from Moab in my family tree. Uh, so I don't. I think it's it's a little bit of a stretch to say that they uh, uh, they blew it. Uh, they they did something terrible by going to Moab. They just needed to live. They needed food. They just had to get to a place where there was something to eat. Next slide. So, Elimelech dies, and then the boys die. Now, we don't know how long these boys were married. But one of the things that we note about that is is that they had no children. They were they were barren. So um and that's that's that situation that they have no children uh is is certainly hard on Orpah, certainly hard on Ruth, but it's even harder on Naomi because now that her sons have died, her husband has died, there's nobody to take care of her. So Naomi is left with no husband no children or grandchildren. And in fact, the, the writer wants us to get a sense of that where he repeats this in verse three and verse five where he says, she's left. She's left. Right? So she's in this situation where she is isolated. She is in a situation where she's in a foreign country and she's in a situation where the only people who, who love her aren't even her family. It's her daughters-in-law. They're not even blood relatives, right? Um, and so what is, what is you know, what's, what's going to happen? Well, she, like I said, she is in a very dangerous and dire situation. Frederick Bush says this, From wife to widow, from mother to childless, Naomi is stripped of all identity. The security of husband and children, which a male-dominated culture affords its women, is hers no longer. The definition of worth by which it values women applies to her no more. The blessings of old age which come from family and children and grandchildren, are hers no longer. Stranger in a foreign land, this woman is a victim of death and of life. So what we have here is this just bleak, bleak, bleak situation. Not only is she grief-stricken, not only has she watched her husband die and her sons die, not only that, but she is facing death, she is facing starvation, she is facing homelessness, she's facing uh, uh, just... Uh, well, just a terrible outcome. So what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What will God do? Where is God? I'm certain that's what she's thinking, you know? Where is He? What happened? Why, why are these things happening to me? I'm, I'm broken and, and I'm grief stricken and I'm bereft and I'm poor and, and my life ultimately may be in danger as a result of all of this death that has come my way. So, so we have this just, catastrophe piled upon catastrophe. You have a famine, you have death, and now you have a widow. It is a bleak, bleak situation. So what is God going to do? What, how is he going to uh, redeem this situation? How is he going to respond? Well, we get a hint of that in verse 6 where it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people. And given them food. You see what's happening there is even in the midst of this dark situation, in the midst of this grief, In the midst of this difficulty, we have the goodness and the grace of God where he comes and as the text says, he visits his people and he visits his people by bringing to them food, by ending the famine and providing for them. And so in that one little verse there, verse six, we have a hint of the direction that the story is going to take us. That this God who brought about famine now is ending that famine and is bringing food and plenty back to his people so that she and, uh, well, she can return back home. So here's the question that we have to ask. Does God see? You see, one of the things that you have to say about that, and one of the things you have to see about this, at the end of verse six, if we were to say to Naomi, does God see you? What do you think she would have said? Well, he's got a funny way of showing it, right? I don't I'm not aware that he sees me at all. I'm not aware that he hears me at all. I'm not aware that he's even involved in my life in any way, shape, or form. And yet, what we know is, and the end of the story is, is that it does end in beauty, and redemption, and grace, and mercy. So, does God see? Yes, He sees you. He sees you, and He sees the end of the story. Secondly, can God can God heal? Can he heal the brokenhearted? Can he, can he restore that which has been taken away? Can, can he bring life from death? Well, absolutely. That is the promise of the gospel, that we have a living hope uh, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is our hope and that is our trust. That death is not the end of the story. That grief is not the end of the story. But in fact, the end of the story is glory and joy forevermore. He can heal. Can he restore? This woman's lost essentially everything. Can he bring back and give back to her what has been taken from her? Well, here we see her at the end of verse six, uh, having to become a refugee, in a sense, back to her own country. But at the end of the book, she seats her grandson on her lap. Can he deliver? Well, he does. He's in the business of doing that for us. You see, that's the hope of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is is that the situation that we uh, that we find ourselves in, that the, the the alienation and the brokenness that sin and rebellion has has given to us, is just like Naomi's situation. We are hopeless, helpless, with nowhere to go, no one to care for us. And Jesus sees, and he strides into this world, and he lives a life we could never live. He dies our death. He rises again. And the promise that he holds out for us is not just that things will get better, not just that your grief will go away, not just that you'll feel better, not just that you'll have something to eat, but his promise to us is to be with him forever and ever in joy and gladness, in celebration and wonder at how good and how great he is. Listen, I don't know where you are today. You may be stuck. You may be thinking of yourself as only bitter. And you may be tempted to think that God doesn't see you, that he doesn't hear you, that he's not responding to you. Well, what this story tells us, what the gospel tells us really is, is that God sees you and there's never a place or a time where if we belong to him, we can be separated from his love. Nothing, nothing, no difficulty, no challenge separates you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We'll see that come to fruition as we read and we look uh, further uh, in the coming weeks at this story. Now, one of the things that we recognize when we come to the Lord's table is, is that we look back to what Jesus has done for us. But we also look forward uh, in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of a difficult world, in the midst of the struggle and the sin and the grief and the difficulty that we have. We look forward to a day where all of that is redeemed and all of that passes away and our lives eternally before the Lord are nothing but joy and satisfaction and glory. Hear now these words of the institution as they come to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this prayer of confession uh, that's printed uh, in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Almighty God, our creator and redeemer, you love your church and you have saved us by your grace. You have clothed us in the righteousness of your son. You are the eternal and faithful God. Yet we confess that we daily attempt to hide from you. We have willfully sinned against you and our neighbor. Failing to see and trust you, we have forgotten you. Forgive and deliver us, good Lord. Renew your people by your grace, that our lives and lips might sing your praise. To the glory of your name, amen.